I just did uh, drafting compliance with you, which is your your podcast that you host the other week, and now you're here with oh, us. So you've got an unfair super- advantage over me. You've already gone. You've already gone down the down the rabbit hole a bit, like. But we we had a very technical like Fed. Yeah, it was very technical by comparison. I mean, there was also beer on that podcast, which is not my favorite part of that property, but uh, it is what it is. And if you haven't watched Draft and Compliance and want to make watch me make faces uh, and try to clean my tongue on camera, uh, Draft and Compliance is absolutely <laughs> great for that. Um, my friends always ask me, "How do you something? have a job where you?" What now? There's a tongue audit? Is that tongue uh, not so much? It's just I really don't like beer, and my <laughs> friends are all confused why. Like I complain about being on a podcast where I have to drink beer. Um, you should you should bring you should bring an unusual beer, like Belgian beer, right? Because apparently there were, there were beer. You, you may know this, right? And I could get it wrong, and somebody will put in comments, which is fine that I got it wrong. But apparently there were hard liquor laws in Belgium, and so they tried to, while still adhering to beer purity laws they try to make them taste like other forms of alcohol so you can get beer that tastes like champagne i think hmm. blanche de bruges did that and so you if, if you can get it here i don't know if you can get it in the united states but there are belgian beers that are super cool and they aren't beery to the taste oh well, there's plenty of beery beers from belgium which is too too much alliteration for me but you can get like non-beery beers from Belgium. Oh, okay. I will take that as a hot tip. Provided they have one that tastes like a, a really good red wine, I think we will be fine. Yeah, um, so anyone I, listening to this, please put in the comments any <laughs> recommendations because I'm not going to bother to Google that right now. And videos, <laughs> but, uh, Everyone but corrects Sam in the comments. Tasting beer recommendations for Kane, we would like that. And I derailed your introduction now. Kind of like that. Um, mm-hmm. I was introducing myself, wasn't I? I think I've we already established my yeah. fiat, basically. Uh, I, I, I drink beer. That's yeah, yeah, Jacob admitted he was cheating on me, but, but please go ahead. <laughs> oh, what, what else can I say after that introduction? Um, I am Kane McGladry. I am the field CISO for Hyperproof. I'm a senior member of the Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers. I, well, what else can I say? I've been doing this for 25 years now, not being on Jacob's show for 25 years, um, but rather I've been in the cybersecurity industry for about 25 years now. I've worked as a defense industrial based CISO. I've worked as a worldwide professional services director. I'm sure that's probably enough fiats. I have a cat. I post a lot of cat GIFs on um, LinkedIn, though lately it's memes. That's me. What's the cat's name? The cat's name is Modi, and he's actually in our company commercial, and he's just over I there. I saw should that. We, should we see if we can get a guest appearance for my cat? I, I don't yes. don't put him out. But right, it, would let's, be, let's, it would be. Let's see really if he's cool in on this. Real. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. he's in. Um, Modi, can you join us for a second here in the studio? He's like, wait, what? What are we doing? Here's this opportunity. Okay. And here is in. a small cat. Look at this. <laughs> Is a Modi is a uh, Norwegian forest cat, so they come about this size. Wow, um, I wouldn't standard size. Pretty so chill, <laughs> right? That's about. He's he's two. He will continue to grow for another three years, really? uh, and at that point, he will be full size, about twenty twenty five pounds. That is wow. not a tiny cat. Uh, no, he is not. But he also, um, you know, he's a normal cat. He enjoys going on walks. He likes rides in the car. He goes on winery tours with us. How, how um, old is he? Two years old. Wow. Yeah. He's awesome. Yeah, he's just awesome into bird. the largest um, cat size harness right now. After that, I'm going to have to get him a dog harness for walking and um, not tell him that it's a dog harness for walking. Mm-hmm. Though he's okay with that. dogs that are about the same size as him. He's still a little suspicious of dogs that are larger than him. Nice. That's better than my dog who just thinks everything with four legs is food. It doesn't matter if it's another dog, <laughs> another cat, a bunny. 
it doesn't matter. It's food. Wow. So it saves on dog food to, prices, but probably not lawsuits, right? Yeah, we have lawsuits. There's a dog on here too, Jacob. Gonna... Uh, she's Wait, outside I... right now. She's not going to participate. She's uh, My mind are asleep. I have, I have two 13 year old Yorkshire Terriers. I look, I'm a big dude. Like, I look ridiculous walking them. But yeah, they're like seven and eight pounds. I've never seen your dogs. They're just too small. I've never seen them either. I mean, I'm sure the NSA has seen your dogs, but beyond that. Oh, they have clearance. Yeah. They, 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 have, they have to be interviewed, actually. So, yeah. Oh, that's funny. that's funny. I'm joking for anyone who's listening. But yeah. <clears throat> You've been doing cybersecurity for 25 years. You started in the Possibly longer. Side, maybe longer. Possibly longer. So I we, started in the uh, governmental side, actually. Um, my first job out of school uh, was working at a, a government contract. And And... Where did you go to school to start with, perhaps? Oh, boy. Um, so I, funny enough, I was a theater major for about a semester. Um, I was I thought I was going to be singing and dancing on Broadway. Uh, true story. I am a theater kid. I also had English as a secondary, uh, just in case my primary plan of um, doing theater didn't work out. And uh, at some point, I recognized that there was absolutely no hope of being able to pay the rent under that career plan. And uh, the one good thing I got out of college uh, that one semester, and also, you know, in high school, I took theater, um, was improv. And so no. I managed to improv my way into a consulting job with a uh, company that was uh, kind of a bootstrap startup, famously cheap owner, and uh, recognized he could pay me half of market rate and see if it worked out. And uh, it totally did. So I'm still here 25 plus years later. And somehow I'm still like, um, I, I don't get to dance on stage, but at least that, and I don't get to sing, but given my voice has changed over the years, that's probably not a bad thing for audiences. So, so I'm convinced not to denigrate anybody who really knew they wanted to be in cyber or infosec, as we called it when we both started. Um, but I'm convinced that being broadly a Renaissance person is beneficial and improv always helps. I mean, helps you get through an audit, right? And, uh, you know, being, being somebody who can, wear many hats is super useful. You're probably biased because that's how you did do it, but do you agree with that generally? I do, actually. One of the um, one of the favorite vulnerability researchers I've ever hired was a classical violinist mm. and uh, just had totally lateral thinking to the entire problem space. And I really loved that about, uh, about her because she approached problems like no one else I'd met. And I think that's so necessary in our industry right now, because if you look at the, you know, the overall industry um, demographics, we all kind of come from very similar backgrounds. Many of us come from very similar uh, schooling. And so we get surprised why the threat actors are effectively rolling us every month with the same, you know, they can come up with new tactics because they don't have the same hiring perceptions that we do. Right now, we're just living in this space of, of groupthink, and I don't think that's helping anybody. No, I, um, I I agree with you. I, I actually think – so I don't know if I've talked about this before, Jacob, on the podcast, and I apologize to Not all of the listeners podcast, if I have. I but if I know where um, you're going. My father and I had a discussion about this, and we came up with a hypothesis, completely not based on any data or science or anything like that, that there's, there's a short-term memory buffer that people have. Um, and the better people are using it, the more likely they are to be good at, 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 at similar skills if they can overcome the – the inhibitions and those are things like music writing coding um it's it's uh 
especially so if you can maintain multiple ideas as you're writing uh, an essay, let's mm. say, or as you're writing fiction, or as you're playing music and snippets of music are playing in your head, if you will, if you're coding and you're trying to think of subroutines and maintaining that, it feels like, so if somebody knows of any academic research, I defer to you, pro or con, it feels like that's the same cognitive capacity, at least in the Mark I carbon-based intelligence. Uh, does that does that resonate with you? Or maybe yeah, being able to parallel, too, actually, parallelism yeah. more than anything else, being able to hold like and three or four concurrent yeah. things in your head and, and quickly right. switch between them. I do think that is a valuable skill, especially uh, in highly technical roles, like you say. But also, um, I'd say if you've ever tried to explain to a board why your budget is what your budget is. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's really necessary to, uh, well, first of all, improv helps, but also that ability mm -hmm. to translate from technical lingo to budgetary lingo to the language of risk so that everybody actually understands <clears throat> it. And that's, that's not an easy uh, remit to hold at all. Yeah, I, that makes total sense to me. So, so you, after you left college, you said you were on the DIB side, Defense Industrial Base. Um, I know, by the way, that you were actually with a bunch of my friends at Centrify. So I, I used was. to I used to work with Bill Mann, and okay. I think Tony Goulding was there. Yep. And Mark Diodati was there, I think, too. Like, there's like a, a I don't know if they were the same time as you. That's the thing. But okay, Bill, don't Bill, and I, Bill and I worked at, at CA together um, in the salt mines of cybersecurity in those days. But, <laughs> salt uh, mines. Uh, so I know you overlapped for at least two or three years. I'm sorry to all my friends at CA because CA was actually pretty good to me and they were a wonderful place. Uh, but it does have quite the history. But uh, so, so what was the DIB side of the equation first? And then because you were a long time at Centrify, too. I'd love to hear about that. Mm -hmm. So, um, so just to disambiguate here, so Defense Industrial Base is where I was a CISO, actually, the first company out of uh, school, I won't say college, because I didn't graduate. Um, I, uh, my I, I always point out to my kids, like, look, finish high school if you do nothing else, because I would not have uh, got to where I was without a high school education. Um, the first place that I worked at was this wonderful new governmental facility. They just finished building a, a brand new property. And Three words remember, that don't go together often, by the way, but keep going. No, no. It was this lovely government facility. It was on an inner harbor of a city, and I can't disclose anything more than that. Mm -hmm. But they walk me into the building, and they've got this um, this really nice manicured lawn. They've got this uh, concrete walkway. They don't have bollards. They don't have shatterproof glass. Just walking in, they've got their server. They had a brand new deck alpha. I don't remember. If, maybe some folks on the on the webcast here will know what a deck alpha is like. Yeah. Kind of kind of about the size of a washing machine. And if you put it on casters in your company lobby uh, or in your governmental mm -hmm. lobby, in this case, it's going to look really nice, and you can show you're into technology. By the way, they were and, powerful. They were. Oh gosh, yes. Yeah. yeah well, they, they, were, they, were, they were by a by, for a long time by the standards of the day. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, define powerful. By no, the they were. I couldn't off the top of my head, but they actually were quite powerful up for like a decade after they were retired. Easily. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those they things were, were workhorses more than yeah. anything else. Part I looked that up for you at some so, point, Jacob. They were awesome. Yeah, I think I've seen seen them not in person unfortunately but i did see a hard drive of them in person and that's one of the reasons they were so large i remember is because the discs themselves were massive like you you think about we can get a terabyte on, to the, be. on the size of your nail now and this mm -hmm. was probably maybe a few megs right um man i used to have double bay mfm hard drives that were and each only beefy. 20 meg so yeah and and they made meg. noises too uh, i i used to know a guy from uh wang computers that was actually the company name who could walk oh, into a server room <laughs> I live and near the tell wang tower. you 
Yeah, yeah. Okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he could walk into a server room and he had a stethoscope around his neck <laughs> and he could like hear the server drives failing and then he'd walk up and be like, yeah, you need to replace this. See, that's the skills that I love. The, I used to, the, there was this guy I met in 2003 who could tell by the way the end of the line output changed on an IDS, whether or not they had an incident. He, he like he couldn't read the lines because they flew by so fast, but he could tell when it went like blip, 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 that there was an incident. And whether it was blip the or indentation. blip, blip. Yeah, it was just like he stared at it like like this for so long, like, like unfocused. And this is like he could hear it is magnificent. Oh, my goodness. Wow. It's, it's those rare skills that really do differentiate people. Yeah. Um, where was I? Oh, right. Anyway, I walk into this new, new governmental facility and, uh, you know, they, they go and they take me and they sit me out down at my desk where I'm going to be working. And, and um, it is this beautiful, uh, again, they've got, it's on an inner harbor. So there's this view of the harbor. I have a front row seat, like ground floor, looking over the, the back garden into the inner harbor of this city. There's boats, there's there's a walkway. I'm like, this is beautiful. And then I they say, okay, cool. So now you're going to go meet our information security director. And I go meet Dan. And Dan is behind three blast shield doors. So to <laughs> get into the, it's like, so to get into the server room, there was an additional like blast door to get into there. And the, you know, after pleasantries, I'm like, did they mix up our offices, Dan? Mm-hmm. Like, what happened here? Why am I, why don't, why do I have this view and you're back in here? And he's like, well, it's pretty simple. Actually, we got our, our budget was cut on the facility and we couldn't afford bulletproof glass. So we put all the cannon fodder on the windows. <laughs> and because I was a consultant, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> That's when you have to go check the nameplate that's facing the harbor and you're like, what does it really say on this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cannon fodder. Um, <laughs> that's and funny. I mean, the biggest thing I take away from that experience, other than their, you know, security cuts that they had to deal with was at the time, you didn't need to log into any of their systems. That was a foreign concept. There was no idea. And there was a terminal in the lobby that allowed you to just walk up because look at us, we've got all this high tech technology and um, you could some just walk in and deal with anything you wanted as just a member of the public. And the reason they'd hired us was partially to do a security audit. And, you know, it's not too hard to go. So you've already told me that you're, um, you've got this wonderful manicured lawn, you've got this concrete you could back a truck up on, the glass is not bulletproof or shatterproof and there's your server. Sorry, do we need to continue our like security audit here because it only gets worse? And you know, then they walked me through into the data center, and it was predictably also like, and this is coming from just a, a high school education and some minimal college work, a recognition that, uh oh, no, he'll Jacob be just get okay. He, good. Yeah, he does. He, that. He, he's he not authorized to hear the rest of this story. I'm sure. No, no. He, <laughs> <laughs> he, fa- he fades. He fades into the potted plants every now and then, and then back. Oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, the, the main takeaway I went is like they, they just had no prioritization of security. And when thinking of the level of access that just members of the public had, that that to me really put me on the course of, yeah, I see security is going to be an ongoing problem because if this is happening in government, I can't imagine it's going to be going well in the public sector. Mm-mm. And in the 20, 25 or more years since, um, yeah, it's just totally been a, a, a continuing debacle. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, yep. I, I, can, I can relate to that enormously. So 
So how did you get to the point where you were doing security audits? Because that's a jump, right? Like to go straight to that. Again, what, what, what got you like, hey, fantastically I'm fantastically cheap out. owner. Nice. <laughs> and a lot of book reading, a lot of uh, so many books, because this again, like Usenet was a thing. Yep. Um, the internet was sort of kind of a thing. And uh, somehow I started out on Unix because it seemed the most intuitive to me. It I'm was. Not sure. Yeah. At, no, at the time. I, yeah. I mean, I remember when Windows came out and that was like, oh, BSD, baby. Um, it was all BSD. Yeah. Heck yes. And and Sun. I had SunOS, uh, when was the first computer on my desk, uh, Solaris 2.4. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. It screamed as a terminal, um, but just the recognition that, like, first of all, the security industry at the time, the infosec security, um, info info security. I think that's what we called it. Um, it was security. very uh, loosey goosey. Mm-hmm. There was none of this requirement that you have to have, you know, a CISSP and you have to have 15 years of Kali Linux and you have to have a Purple Heart mm-hmm. so that you can get a $10 an hour internship job, right? Uh, and that's currently the state of our industry. I remember the um, debate of authentication versus authorization for the CBK. People <laughs> pulled their hair out. Yep. 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 It was just, it was very easy. And I remember like, uh, what was it? The M. Microsoft certification, M- MCSE, must consult someone else. Um, I remember taking that, not knowing anything about Windows or very any very little because uh, TCPIP was an elective. And I was like, oh, this is just going to be too funny. So I show up as like the Unix He's, guy, like I'm just going to sit down and do this. And even calling it TCPIP was annoying because it was really IP of which TCP was a type. But Jacob, you brought up the Cisco certification. What always characterized the difference between the Microsoft and, and at the time and Cisco for me was Microsoft, you had to remember the recipes. Right. While Cis, well, the Cisco, you had to solve problems. I, I didn't do the Cisco one, but I saw some of the testing stuff and I spoke to people like they would give you logic puzzles. I think that's what you went through. Yeah, right, Jacob? so I actually took a CCNA in high school and that was it. Um, that's how I, I got professional skills, right? Computers were something I was doing, but my high school actually. As opposed to Windows 98, SE and MT351 uh, skills. Yeah. Well, besides, you know, just making a mess of the internet wherever you could. Um, that's like there was the ccna part and we actually had competitions so i I think they still do this but there was competitions where you this is the nerdiest thing that exists probably in the world where i I, i'm gonna i'll take the challenge let's hear boy have you been to a comic con i I have i have been to a comic con and i saw an an overweight robin with uh, a robin suit that didn't fit get into a batmobile so yes and i argue this is nerdier um, so it, you could elect in high school in certain high schools to take CCNA <clears throat> and mm-hmm. they broke it out because CCNA usually is a either entry like first year of college, second year of college, depending on what you did. Mm-hmm. And so instead of doing it as like a semester, like you normally would, they broke it out over a couple of years. So you would do like a semester would be a year and then you do the second part next year, et cetera. Um, but you could compete in what was called skills USA. And so skills USA is a, a organization that does trades primarily but networking was a trade really uh before it was before it really became a more white collar job people thought of it sort of like a trade like you were just the cable guy and so skills usa included cisco and networking and web development so you would compete at a state level and if you went at a state level you would go and compete nationally for whoever was the best high school networker but they also had things like you in another part of this massive facility that they would do these 
things. And there was like CJ majors, or I guess not majors at that time, people taking CJ classes in high school, though, like doing pretend traffic stops and getting ranked is like the best going to be a police and practicing class. with their nice <laughs> yeah, yeah, beating yeah. people. And then there was like, people that but there's automotive too like so there's automotive skills so like another part of the skills usa convention is like people competing nationally as being the best mechanic and things like that um but yeah so competing to be the best networker in a high school is that's pretty pretty far up there as far as nerdy goes but that's, that's yeah awesome. that is how I'm. it sounds like you missed out on D D. jacob <laughs> i mean honestly oh no he did he did and we're gonna fix this so by Sam, the way we've spoken about this in previous podcasts i'm gonna fix this like this is a must because that's that's one of my big should we transition right a little bit to games for a little while then we can come back to something we, we'll definitely do that but but i have to share okay, because we're right. talking about like white color blue color so when i first started uh dating my wife previous to her being my wife of course uh she asked me to stop telling people i was in security because she said, because uh, this was like uh, 12, 13 years ago, maybe a bit more. She said, people thought it meant I was a mall security guard. <laughs> so, she, so, she asked, see? so she asked me, could you tell them that you're a hacker? And I'm like, okay. But then like my head, hacker versus cracker. And nobody says that now. And then it's like, if, I'm like, sure, I'll just, I'll do that. And but then the word cyber really started to take off right around then. So I started to say cybersecurity. But it was so funny that like in our world, I, we would say security. You're like, of course. But no, she thought people would think I went to work in yeah, like a, put on my it. name on and then night. Now, did, did you have to wear a hoodie as well? <laughs> oh, I, but I, you know, unless I'm doing a podcast or something, uh, I usually do just because I sit still at my computer. And I think this is why it started. I sit still at my computer so long, it can get cold, right? Because you're usually in a controlled air environment. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really good point. I never thought about <clears throat> why people got perceived as wearing. I think that's I, why. I think it's why. And it's like you're in air conditioning, you're tempest proof, skiff, whatever, blah. But probably feel, not skiff with a computer. But, but the point is you you get chilly and, and you can regulate your temperature better. Yeah, I remember having in one of the uh, governmental data centers that I worked in, um, twofold having a parka <laughs> that I'd have to walk if I was working the floor because they kept it really cold. And then um, yeah. the added bonus of that, as the staff thought it, um, Paul was their chief operator at the time. And uh, he had remember those suction cups you could lift up raised oh, floor yeah. with, mm-hmm. right? You'd, you know, suck it Ooh. onto the raised yeah. floor. So he kept beer under the floor. That was a classic. Smart. He was just basically using it as his personal refrigerator. And so Friday mornings got kind of lit around there. I know a lot of IT guys that used to keep like a bottle of whiskey in the drop ceiling in the data center. So you like push up the ceiling, your whatever bottle of whiskey, bottle of rum was up there. Definitely. It's funny. My my wife and I, we own a gym. Uh, Clearly she's the one that's there all day, right? So she, so to somebody in the gym turned the air conditioning down too low. And so it froze into a block and then that started to drip. And that caused a light, which apparently has a transformer in it with some oil, and it caused that to start smoking. So the entire gym got evacuated this morning, and we had the fire department arrive, and everyone's like, there's smoke in the wall. And I'm like, oh, my God, no. And, of course, that's when you find the things that people put right next to the air conditioner to keep them cool, like alcohol and beer and stuff. You're like, oh, yeah. It's a gym, but there it is. You know? I, I feel as technology has truly taken over the world, it's so much more laced up now. You could be an IT guy, security person. You could just you could wear whatever you want. As I'm going to take a, a line from the Social Network, and they were making fun of Mark Zuckerberg. They're like, "Your fuck you, flip flops and hoodie." That's what 
that's what uh, <laughs> IT and you just wonder you do whatever you want because you just you just made it so we're going to get some we're not you know it is yeah. still possible it is still totally possible to do that I remember um, doing a another security audit actually at a company in lower Manhattan and fairly well-known banking institution and walking in through their uh, their their you know, I got into the building and uh, got up to the vice president's floor, who I was having a meeting with, didn't get stopped, didn't get checked, didn't like no security guards or anything. And the vice president, upon seeing me, was like, we need to talk about your outfit. Now, that day I had chosen to wear uh, button fly jeans with motorcycle boots, a great big skull belt buckle. <laughs> nice. Right. And that's um, do not a, mess a with me. Ripped t- t- shirt. Right. And I think like some kind of I don't know, leather adjacent jacket. I walk in just leather like, adjacent. Know. I got to remember that. Keep going, yeah, yes. I'm not sure if it was real leather. It was just like leather, the cheapest prop that right. I could find. I like rock through the entire building. Nobody says boo to me. He's like, we need to talk about your outfit. And I'm like, dude, we need to talk about your physical security, <laughs> right? Let's, let's not even bother like your, your internet security facing. Let's t- solve some basics here because I've already been in your server room today and nobody's seen me before at this facility. Like, uh, what's what's your game plan? Of course, you made me go back and like get changed into a suit so that I could look normal, which was no fun. But, you know, then was able to have the conversations around security culture, which at the time was not a thing. And I think part of the reason we've gotten a lot more um, laced up or straight laced, as I think I said, was that perception that security has to be very serious. Mm-hmm. And um, as you get it's into gravitas. very large, gravitas. yeah, as, as you get into boardrooms, like that becomes absolutely necessary to fit in. And if you right. are, right. Um, if you, if you look different, unfortunately, that's still considered to be a liability. Well, there's there's this notion that packaging is the product. Like if, if I say to you, imagine Diet Coke, you're not picturing a bubbly brown liquid. You're picturing the can, probably. The silver, I was, or maybe I was not you, but picturing generally. toilet bowl cleaner, probably, but that's personal preference. Prob- okay. but, but most people picture the branding associated with the product. The packaging is the product. And, and so I asked uh, Art Coviello, years ago when I first became a CTO for advice on what how to be a CTO. And he gave me some really good professional advice. Then I asked a guy named Chuck Hollis, who was at EMC, and he gave me some very practical advice. He said, he said, dress down one level from everyone in the room. Not up, down, because it was CTO. And he said, have a computer that's one up from everybody in the room. And it was really great advice, right? He's like, if everyone's got a PC, have a Mac. If everyone's got a Mac, have an iPad. He was like, and at one point, I think he said that this iPad 2 or whatever the version number was had just come out. So he ordered an iPad and he had, he, you could get them engraved. He wanted it engraved with like whatever the next version would be, like beta iPad V3 on the back. And he got a call from the, the VP of marketing or whatever, or VP of someone at Apple, like, why are you asking for this? Right. Because it, it, it clearly tipped some flag. And he said, because I'm, you know, CTO, EMC type thing, and I'm going to be presenting. The guy goes, got it, and he overnighted it. Like so, like they so so clearly now. Now I think we're in a we're in a and may, maybe we're just like we all balance out. So like you know, if you if you dress up with a collar, you're not wearing pants, and that's not an admission or anything. But like when you get on a, on a Zoom now, you've kind of got to up level it a bit, which is totally different from when we started COVID. Mm. But I still think the packaging is the product to some degree, and when you present to the board. It's not a form of self-expression. It's a product you're putting out, which is I understand your risk and you're putting some degree of confidence in me. Right. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to what, what's your true inner self, which is a very different reason to get dressed in the morning. No, no, it does. No, that, 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 I, I agree with you on that. And unfortunately, it's, again, that it's that symptomatic groupthink that we have within our industry, which mm-hmm. also, like the other thing that I've always used as a litmus test of a board's um, value, I think, like how much I want to engage with them is if I walk into the room and they all look like me, I'm definitely in the wrong room. Right. Oh, yeah. I have used this as a way of deciding, like, do I want to work with your company either in a consulting fashion or as an employee? If y'all look like me, I need to leave because I'm not healthy. Yeah, I, got that. I think that I think that in like especially in Fortune 500 companies, the commitment to diversity that they pledge versus the actual implementation of diversity at the highest level. It's just not there yet. And um, I think that that's emblematic of those cultural issues of, of what we perceive to be business like. I don't know if you saw the um, AI playground thing that happened on Twitter or whatever the mm-hmm. heck we're calling Twitter these days. X or the product uh, formerly known as Twitter or whatever. Yeah, the artist previously known as Princess. Although there was a good reason uh, for that, apparently. If you listen to Chappelle, there was a good reason for that. But keep for going. Prince yeah, or so for Twitter? X, <laughs> for Prince. Because apparently, uh, certainly some people, especially in the African-American community, a lot of people were taken advantage of for not understanding what the rights they were signing over were in music contracts, and they didn't have rights to their names. I'm not speaking that from firsthand knowledge. I'm inferring I've, that from something Dave Chappelle said around his I've heard that as well. And he referenced Prince, yeah. So he couldn't even say, I was, you know, I'm Prince. I'm the artist formerly known uh, Contractually, Prince. So the- if I'm in error, please comment down below and whatever. But, but let's go back to this. Uh, sorry for, de- for derailing that. No, that's all right. So the the brief on the AI playground thing was there was a graduate student from MIT. She was Asian American. And she said uh, to this AI, AI playground, hey, you know, can you make me look more professional in this photo I've uploaded? And she had uploaded oh. a photo of herself in a uh, MIT sweatshirt, I think, or a t-shirt. And, um, you know, the AI made her white. Same facial structure, same either sweatshirt or t-shirt, just straight up like, oh, you need to be white because this is what professionalism apparently is on LinkedIn because it's scraped through all of the photos on LinkedIn. And because of, unfortunately, like the AI training model, it... If it's given all the photos, it's going to tend one way. And that probably speaks to some systemic larger problems of people on LinkedIn in our industry, across all industries who are seen to be executives. But I've always used oh. that. Like You think of it, first of all, the AI maker has apologized profusely. This whole thing blew up on Twitter. And apparently, they're trying to fix their algorithm. But if we've got that level of an AI just observing this, I've been making those same observations at board mm. meetings regularly mm. of like, yeah, your diversity commitment mm. is just, it, it doesn't exist. And it makes me far less inclined to want to come out and play with them and be like, hey, let's do the cybers well. Um, instead, let's find a company that actually has cultural diversity and a, a varied set of opinions because I find those organizations do so much better at cybersecurity because mm. they aren't... Um, they don't have that insular group think of the right way to approach a problem. Now, it's interesting. Dr. Long Kaufman and I, in 2020, right before COVID hit, we did a advanced session at RSA uh, called Ghost in the Machine. And it was about uh, getting equity and justice in, in a world of AI and trust. 
And we talked about the before, during, and after, and the differences among things like legal systems, ethical systems, and technological systems. And like, what are the technologies we can use for this? Okay, that's a, a great aside for anybody who wants to go look at it because we were addressing specifically this, but this is a mirror held up to ourselves. And it's kind of an opportunity because, I mean, you remember those face tracking things that couldn't recognize African-American people, for instance? Like, oh, it was yeah. Awful. Yes. But this actually tells us the pattern exists in the learning set and therefore is a reflection of us. And so like I, I'm uh, now, it's not whether I'm okay with it, it. It's, but I'm willing, for instance, as we go down a diversity journey and we discover this in ourselves, if we apply efforts to fixing it continuously. So, Hey, if we've discovered that we have a diversity and inclusion in DEI program, we discover that we still have these biases but we don't give up. We keep trying to fix them. We find out, sure, the executives are not that way. And then the board is not that way. Do we meaningfully try to change it? Do we change the way we recruit? Do we change the way that we interview? Because this isn't going to be solved with one set of controls and go, oh, wipe our hands. It's done. Woohoo. It's going to require getting it wrong, overcorrecting, finding like, this is, this is, this is multi-year and multi-generational journey. And I don't mean that it should, it's inevitable that you're going to make mistakes, but I know this guy apologized, but if he had corrected it before it ever appeared, would we have the mirror shown to us? I don't know if that that's, makes sense. That, that, that's a really good question. Um, I've been thinking about this a lot because uh, like New York State recently put in a, a new regulatory control that says, look, if you're using artificial intelligence for doing candidate screening, um, you have to point out like what your failure rate is in protected groups and how overly impacted they are. Mm. And there's a lot of additional talk in the world right now around AI regulation. And I think we, if, if you think of what we do for a living, we have a really good way of auditing code for security vulnerabilities. I think that is a known thing. We have a really good way of auditing code for compliance vulnerabilities or compliance problems. You can either do that those manually if you are gotten for punishment and have a lot of staff and money. You can use programs to do that. Something that we don't have right now is a way of auditing code for um, either for ethics or for Ooh. diversity or for um, you know, any of those other attributes. And if you think about a model like ChatGPT, they evaluate at some silly number. It's like over a trillion possible data points with every single query you put in. I don't know anybody who's got a program who's going to be able to audit a trillion data points to say, well, these, these 30 here, these are what are causing diversity issues, right? Well, That's not a feasible thing. And so I think a lot of our auditing of uh, or you know the regulatory controls that are going to come up around artificial intelligence in the near term are going to be observation of failure do you think right they're going to be this is a bad outcome or a what we consider to be a bad outcome from the ai rather than being able to proactively audit the code and say oh well this is going to be clearly a racist and this is going to be clearly discriminatory outcome but do you think it's not well, so there's there's one thing that alone and i did which was we, we we took it a step back and looked at the medical profession um because they have review boards that don't, that they will look at the data post facto, but they actually review projects. We don't have any equivalent to that in tech. So like before you can go and do cancer research on a, on a group of people and apply, let's say ML to it, right. you have to go before an ethics committee that is going to really try to explore the, the all the dimensions of the research before you get the go ahead. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like that before you go and tap into 
everything ever printed in everybody's PII you- in the in the quote AI LLM world, right? And and that that's missing. Do you think that uh, Jacob? I think I talked over. No, no, it's fine. Uh, do you think that by focusing our attention on reviewing the code, we're just sort of ignoring the root cause? Because the AI part of it, it's just learning from what society does, more or less, right? It's a statistical analysis, and so it's saying statistically, this is what I find, more or less. And we say, as a society, we don't agree with the way the statistical representation is because there's a a bias and we don't think that bias is leading to good outcomes so we need to fix that root cause we need to fix the human bias the the issue of underrepresentation of minorities whatever that might be before that we can fix even the next level up which is the technology but i, I, I have a i have a thought there but yeah, Kane, what do you well, think well par- part of that is uh, part of that is a long term societal change and i don't know if we're doing that well enough in cybersecurity to say let's take this and apply it to the entire of society i think the way that um, companies that are evaluating and considering either making or using an ai model um, the model itself, the code itself, isn't the problem in general, mm. right? I'd say it's the training data set that you give it. So if you go back to your your example, Jacob, of facial recognition horror show, um, which overly, like, you know, black members of Congress, they are absolutely criminals according to some facial recognition programs, which- All of Congress is criminals. Limit. It doesn't matter if you're white or black. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. That was, that was smooth. Am I allowed to say that? Should I bleep that? <laughs> nope. Keep that. The NSA will be there for you later. Yeah. Because <laughs> they want to reward you for telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> but, but my point is that it's the data set that they were giving that model that influences that outcome. And then it becomes an ethical question more than anything else. And people have to make a decision. And this is where the um, the sheer volume of artificial intelligence programs that are being developed and created and maintained. Uh, first of all, they're not static. Right. So once you give it your initial training set, that's probably not like your cancer review board where you're just giving it this data set and that's it. You're not going to feed it anything else. Inevitably, it's going to learn based on what it's being fed. So if you give it access to the entirety of the Internet, it's going to sound like people on the Internet. Right. The most common way. If you give it the access to the all of LinkedIn's professional photos and that's where you have to set a line. But setting that line, mm-hmm. if we want to incorporate diversity or if we want to incorporate equity into any of these programs moving forward, what's the training data set? And then somebody has to make an ethical decision of, oh, this is an acceptable, like this is a good representation of the world as we'd like to see it rather than the world as it currently could be perceived as an AI. And that's going to have massive um, and unfortunate. Uh, you, you look at redlining, right? Hmm. The, the practice of not giving mortgages to black families in certain neighborhoods. And this is has the potential to be worse than redlining because AIs, if they're used in financial decision-making, could discriminate against people who are well-to-do. You can't get a mortgage. Or the other thing I'm hearing right now is in human resources, there are uh, call recording software, mm-hmm. right? And it'll tell you how you did on the call. And the AI will tell you how you did on the call if you're like a sales professional. And HR professionals are struggling with the um First of all, the legitimacy of that idea, but also what if they fire somebody for non-performance and it's because the AI told them that they weren't performing? Like, what's that lawsuit going to look like? And it's, pro tip, it's not going to look good. 
Yeah, so, so this is, I was at an auto show years ago and everyone was worried that somebody would be killed by a self-driving car. And, and, and I said, well, I got news, people being killed by humans driving cars right now, right? And, <laughs> yes. uh, and the numbers was between 30 and 50,000 a year at the time. And I said, so, so how many people have to die a year if every car was driven by an AI for you to accept that AIs are going to kill people? Is it 5,000 a year or 500 a year or 50 or five? So at what point? And then someone said, well, we don't know how they're thinking when they make, when they make these decisions. And I said, I have further news for you. You don't know how humans are thinking at the time of an accident. Right? This is not something you can peel apart on a stand and truly understand the psychology of what was going through someone's brain. Um, the good news is that we can actually progressively make AIs better so that we can start to understand what's happening inside their brains and we can, we can improve them over time. This was not very well rewarded. And, and I'm reminded um, of two concepts that I think oppose one another. Uh, one is this notion of Moloch, which is an old Canaanite demon or god this that that it's sort of like the inevitable thing that you go towards because you can't stop yourself on the treadmill it's it's it, the the process or progress to towards nuclear extermination or um gene editing or the race to agi revolution the flip side of it is something that i read about in seven eats by neil stevenson which was omistics it comes from amish as a root as a word which is that that cultures can actually choose what they do with technology that it's not inevitable and so I would like to think of the latter, and and I, that may be wishful thinking. Maybe we are stuck in the former, that, that we're on this inevitable treadmill that leads to AGI or bias or us being the victims of artificial intelligence um, and some of these technologies. But I think, I think we're at the point where we can try to exert ourselves, at, because I would like to live in a world where there is less discrimination or unfair discrimination and inequity and, and, and that AI can help us get there than to live in a world where we're all just racing towards, you know, annihilation of the human species because of a, of some AI in the future. And then just for the record, LLMs are not going to do it. And all that hype is kind of, kind of crap. What was but, that, yeah. that meme that I saw this morning, which was pretty funny. It was like, congratulations to all the brainiacs that figured out how threat actors can use LLMs. <laughs> that was like you, the, you said that to me this morning. I just about spat my coffee out because, yeah, like, that, yeah. That, that was the most self-evident thing. Welcome to the party, six, you know, at least six months, if not you know, ten years late. Yeah, yeah. It's everyone has to talk about it because the thing to talk about, and we all, you know, we're playing the popularity game. Uh, we're on a podcast. We're clearly playing the game, but um. we are. But speaking of uh, nerdy things, though, uh, two things come to mind. One, you have some stuff toys behind you. There has to be a story behind that. And two, we did start to go down the gaming route, and I did want to know if that was like a thing that Jacob just threw out there. If it was based on something true, so which which of those do you want to tackle first, Kane? Oh, I'm I'm certain I could talk about uh, the stuff he's bought, and then we can pivot to games if you want. Sure. So um, it's funny, my entire background. So I ended up in. You remember the pandemic? Um, I, 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 yes, I yeah. was on a uh, doom scrolling uh, habit on this Twitter feed of Zoom walls of shame. And um, I got to internalize that Zoom walls of shame. So Zoom walls of shame. So, so, so it was the things that people had behind them that were terrible. Around, okay. Right. Absolutely terrible things in their background. And um, not to name drop somebody, but every time I, well, here's the thing. So, so, so I watched that and I, I, I'd scroll and I'd be like, wow, my background actually is legitimately terrible. Um, so that's why I invested heavily in this entire, like, you know, setup. Um, I think it I didn't want to be what did it look like before? On there, but I also, you know, I had a green screen back here for a while. 
because like, I, I couldn't that tube is intellectually there, deal. There. Okay. Yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't deal with the idea of I have to redecorate my office to perpetually like live in this and also to do value signaling through the back of it. Well, you're, send, you know, you're sending subtle. some message, right? I think, I think you're sending I'm qualified at something with whatever that picture is. There's a bird that says, I like art and maybe nature. Right, and then you've got a sunset. Is that and uh, this is a squirrel ser- serving a martini? Oh, I that see now that's hidden behind you most of the time, but that's that I would like bigger. That's that's awesome. And then the beach, or is that a sunset or something? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's my pride flag. Although most people do not pick it up, uh, they go, "Oh, that must be a beach or a sunset." The colors do flag. make sense. They, you know, they do. Yeah, they do. Exactly. It is. It is subtle value signaling, and and there's uh, some prizes. Example, and I thought it was got, a secure ID like, two two fifty, oh, but yeah, it's not. That yeah. stuff too. I've got Agaretsuko, which if you don't know, nice. is uh, an anime about um, a what is she? She's a red panda that sings death metal because she hates her job, and it's a it's a That's TV awesome. show basically about sexism. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome but right. it's all like little conscious things that i had to you know and then i've got moxie from hell of a boss which um my favorite character on the show my kids in- introduced me to the show it's about uh sex and violence and demons and murder and Good stuff for kids it's a yeah yeah really yeah. cute show well my, i have teenagers so, so you mentioned anime um, i don't know if you've ever been a fan of something like Cowboy Bebop, but the, the person who made Cowboy Bebop is bringing out a new show called Lazarus, which I'm super excited about. And my and that brings me to my daughter, who's 10 and I just, we subscribed to a um, tasting box from Japan from a company called Sakura. And every month they have a theme and they send you a really cool box filled with Japanese snacks that over there are probably like, yeah, that's really boring stuff. But like unusually flavored Kit Kats and we had like strange potato chips and so you, you probably know. had like the uh wasabi kit kat oh it's awesome it's yeah, really yeah, good yeah. one we got cookies and cream kit kat and then wasabi kit kat and i was like whoa yeah. i'll send you the link for it i i get no commission from sakura uh we did the taste of tokyo <laughs> yeah we just got the uh okinawa summer fun box which had like I'll send you the, actually the little, the book opens backwards from how most American books sort of like an anime, like, um, oh, like a magna. Yeah. Like a, like a manga book. And it, it's super fun, but yeah, that's cool. Now gaming, is that a thing for you? It is tabletop gaming, uh, tabletop games video games. I don't have the, is, know, is it board games, role playing games, all of the above, um, board games and card games. So one of the other things I do <clears> is, um, it's funny when I was buying a house, I specifically gave my realtor the instructions of I wanted to have a very large living room with a floor where I could move the furniture around, and he didn't understand why I wanted and that. And suction cups to hide games and stuff. Either. But not so much actually, but everything in my living room is on sliders because I will regularly right. like I've got a couple big like chunky wooden tables downstairs. I'll have twenty people over on Love Friday that. night, and um, you know it's a privilege to serve the local community, and to I also run our gaming Discord server for the community, and. Um, um, I love, uh, I tend to really like big, silly party games as well as heavy duty, weighty Euro games. Um, it's way. that weird schism in between. Like I um, just actually got Agoretsuko apparently has a, um, what's it called work rage balance is the name of the card <laughs> game. Um, to me, it looks cute. It looks silly. I just got uh, green team wins, which again, it's big, it's silly. It's easy to have a whole bunch of people get involved. And then at, some point we will pivot hard into something like i don't know uh raw for example which is a great reiner Kinesia property or similar weight games to that like the the 
ones that are on a board game geek, like a difficulty five or so, mm-hmm. like complexity, I tend to not get into. So like, uh, what was that? San, San, San Marco? Oh, San Marco's rough. Yeah, appealed yeah, yeah. to me. So I always want to play Twilight Imperium, but that's just too much of an investment. Um, one Two game is worth, yes. Yeah, wow. one game. Oh, although I have played Scythe, which is a little less of an investment, but one of the games that I was dying to play, a friend of mine, David Berliner, who who Jacob knows, and I, we actually did get a game. There's Captain Sonar. Have you had a chance to play that? I have a good friend it's of mine so actually awesome. has it. It's so much fun for eight, but you need exactly eight people. It's eight people. And Jacob, we have to do this. It's uh, it's four people in a sub against four people in a sub. And each person in the sub has a game. There's like a radar man or woman. There's that an engineer, there's fun. a captain. And like you're calling stuff out. And then the one mode of play is you play turns. So every turn, everybody does their thing. Yep. And that's very controlled. And then there's basically you race through your turn as fast as you can as you navigate and try to sync the other sub. And it's ridiculously fun. Um, yeah, so we got to try that. But um, I also recently discovered, so I always played Star Wars, the role-playing game when I was younger. I just discovered mm. there's a board game that perfectly integrates with it called Star Warriors. And I found it on eBay for like 30 bucks. Cool. And so I'm looking forward to playing that as my next game. But yeah, I, I love that you actually bought a house on that basis. Well, I wanted to have friends, and I bought it before the pandemic as well, which um, I will tell you, the pandemic was rough. I remember, uh, do you know the game Mansions of Madness? I, I've never played it, but I do know it, yeah. Okay, it's the friend, it's kind of like the friend with a boat. You want to know the person who owns a copy yes. because the copy cost is so, ex- it's stupid. Um, <laughs> and now they've stopped making new content, and I'm like, I have money, can I give it to up. you? Um, anyway, during the pandemic, with uh, no less than three webcams, I was running games of that on Zoom for friends because we were all stuck in our respective houses. And I'm like, I want to play Mansions of Madness. And uh, me rolling the dice, me moving everything around. And it's a hybrid digital. Oh, so you uh, had a camera on, on it. I had three cameras on it. Oh, it is It was a whole wow. freakish production during the pandemic. Well, like how it's expensive, so much easier Sam. to do that. In- do, do hey, my it? apologies to Fantasy Flight Games who make amazing products. It's 110 bucks retail for so a board it, game. Right, yes. which I mean, board games are usually that's for the ba- That's for the base 60. set. That's the yeah. base set, and then there's like expansions. Wait till you buy all the expansions. <laughs> so <laughs> do like you video believe video game microtransactions? I've heard people say uh, that yes, the expansions are just ways to make you. Do they add much to the game or does it change the game? Uh, I have all the expansions and I've also hacked the game files using an, an editor so that I have custom expansions. Now nice. that's now this is to say maybe I enjoy the game, but it's it, it's this interesting hybrid digital game. I, the game I wish we'd had during the pandemic, which we were just playing last night, is Gloomhaven. Um, I love I Gloomhaven. I, okay, I have, I, we I play here, the digital copy. Do you play the physical copy? I have the physical copy, but most of my friends since since COVID, we've we always lamented not being able to play together face to face. But we've we've been playing online and we've kept doing it. And strangely enough, my dad got in it. Um, the only people who play face-to-face in and around my house are my daughter. I run a game for her and her 10-year-old friends, which is chaos because they play totally differently from how we play stuff. But mm-hmm. one of my friends has sunk into a bit of a depression lately. We're going we're gonna to raid his house on Monday and we're going to play a game there. But uh, So most of what we do is online at the moment. And so I haven't been able to play Gloomhaven which is, and Frosthaven and everything else. So I have a large wall of unopened physical boxes, or at least unplayed. They're open. Yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, I I skipped the digital or I skipped the physical copy of Gloomhaven because I have um I have a it's very big. large it's IKEA big. 
cabinet in my living room, and I, I limit my game collection to that. Well, game and whiskey oh, collection. Oh, see, that's basically. good. So if it if it doesn't fit in there, You're and at the allowed. time I had I had Myth, right? And Myth was just another sprawling property which we stopped playing. But um, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to buy the big box of Gloomhaven. See the doors behind me. This A lot of big. people don't know that's games, and like, and in the basement. And then bookshelves. But like anybody I'm on a Zoom with can always say, hey, I want to see what's in the closet. And I'll be like, are you sure? Ah, okay. Not doing it now, cool. Jacob, because we don't have much time left, but uh, <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Are we coming up to the end of the recording? My uh, number's wrong because I have a computer issue that I'm not sure what it was. Mm. But it's, that's it's why I was fading time, in and out. It's time dilation is the thing. It's relativity. Oh, I just time figured you were relative. going into the shadow realm. That's all. That's yeah, right. I kind of live one leg in the shadow realm, one, one in this realm. Um, Whatever this one is this is. Jacob here, is it? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, if this is, if this is the so what do you, what so Jacob hasn't mentioned about? any. Well, what first of all, Jacob hasn't mentioned anything about board games other than he knows that they exist. So, I'm deadly curious. I, he like, has, what's, he what's has your a go to for it, don't you, Jacob? But yes. Are you- so, uh, yeah, I, I like games and I like middle of the road difficulty games, but I like ones that are challenging. The most challenging, though, I can get my typical friend group to play is like Munchkin. So that's not a very challenging. See, game. Munchkin, I actually so don't have like you banned as much. the elf. No, 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 no. We don't like my, my friends are. When when I'm like, let's play a game. They're like beer pong. I'm like, no, <laughs> no. I mean, I just don't have like a core group of friends that will play games the same way I. I like think them. I think we should do and, a and meetup. So, actually, I don't I, think we, we we've talked about doing an episode yeah, which is a game, but I think we should actually do a meetup of cyber gaming people for and and just. Take a so. day and do it and, uh, and be, just use it. No, and we ban talk about work. We can talk about cyber, but we don't talk about work. You can talk about the industry, but not your job. Right. And you can talk about problems or you can talk about AI Kim, and Kim, how, you based your relationship with an AI or whatever. Uh, the other side of the country, Bellingham, Washington. That's right. City of Washington. subdued excitement. City of subdued. Is, is that a thing? That's, that is our tagline. That's amazing. That's uh, so we we could organize though maybe middle of the country somewhere we could rent a we could do simultaneous ones or in east and west. Ooh. I like that idea though. Let's, or or we could do like a captain and we could do like a, a component that's like captain's on or some competitive game that rolls teams up for for a showdown, sort of uh, you know the cyber the cyber sonar showdown or something like that. I like this. Yep, we're fantasizing right now, but we could do this, Jacob. We have done crazier things. This is a simple thing compared to some of the crazy right. things. Right. This is, yeah. Logistically. And I know volunteers and people will rally to this because that's how we Because are it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. We could Would do you the be first... part of the game? Would you uh, join in? I could certainly look at that. Depends on where and when more than anything else. Oh, Maybe we would Thursday, adapt to Because that's my regular gloomhaven. <laughs> well, well, we'll ask Sabelle. People don't know Sabelle's the, pe- the person who actually helps make this whole thing happen. Oh. I'm sure she'd help us. She And she lives in the UK, which is, so she gets five hours ahead of us and yeah. That. So you're okay. saying we're going to do this in the UK? Fantastic! I love it already. Right? Yeah, we're going. We we're could all have get the first security war games in London. See if we get arrested on that. Has no talks and is only board games, and we'll have. Oh yeah, we'll have the best security conference. Although, uh, so I did. I did an RSA conference presentation with Uri Rivner years ago. That was um, Hollywood Hollywood uh, movies that were like stings and scams and things like that, and cyber. And then I did one with. Um, Scott uh, Hewitt uh, on sci-fi and 
cyber. I think we could do gaming in cyber, not like a presentation, but like actually do gaming in cyber as a as a thing. And because I, let's let's tie it right back to the beginning. It's all about short term memory and modeling and mini systems and games. Are, are, I think are helpful for that. As is music, as is writing, as is coding, as is math. Definitely. And a lot of people I know in cyber actually do enjoy uh, board games way more than they do enjoy video games because it gets and them tabletops. away from a screen. Mm-hmm. And we do table, we actually do tabletops for business purposes. Um, Adam Showstack has a web page that is on cyber related games. Call out to him. Maybe we'll put, we got a bunch of stuff we can put now in the below and with the links. Send me there, the links Jacob. you want me to put in the description because I won't, I will. I won't I remember. Will. No, <laughs> Jacob does all the editing for this, which is why it looks good and has music and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, Jacob will do this. <laughs> Jacob will take care of it. I'll, I will well, send it I to think, I, think I denigrate is, my own role in this because it's like nothing. This is where I'm going to end the podcast because otherwise my to-do list is going to keep getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> I've assigned it all to Sabelle and Jacob. There we go. Uh, uh, but uh, well, thank you for to- having me on. This has been super fantastic and fun and love the show. Um, I, this is, I hope this episode goes well for people and people learn something. I, I think it was wonderful having you on. Thanks for being with us. Mm-hmm.